0: Good morning. How are y'all? Good. You guys are very responsive today. Uh, my name is JC. I'm the family pastor here at Brookwood Church, and uh, I'm very thankful to be here and to give this message to you today. Um, God is good, He's very good. Uh, and so I, I don't want you to miss today, because today may be hard for some of you, it may be very difficult, so I don't want you to miss this idea. God is good, and God can be trusted, and he loves you. Don't miss that, okay? Let's get rolling. Uh, have you ever been in the middle of a big decision where you needed that particular decision to go in your favor, and maybe you shared a few words that were a little more than what was necessary to sway that decision in your favor or maybe you had some family members that you knew if they made that decision that it would completely change the path of their life forever and you maybe said some things to help convince them to make the right call. Maybe you added some extra words that really weren't necessary. Maybe you added some things that really weren't true. Maybe you've got a product or a service that you are responsible to selling to people and maybe it's not doing the things that you tell people it can actually do. And maybe the company that you represent and have to represent as your job, maybe you have to say some extra things to even convince yourself that what you say is true. See, today we're going to talk about the words that we use. But more than just the words that we say, we will talk about what really affects us, and that's our heart and our soul. See, maybe you've made a promise before to get something, but didn't follow through. If today's your first time, or maybe it's your first time in a while, we are continuing in our series in James, we're almost done, uh, we've been uh, going through. It's it's uh, almost the end, but you can check out all of these messages on the Book of James on our website at BrookwoodChurch.org. Uh, it's been a fantastic journey, uh, and I am excited to tell you today I have one verse that I'm going to talk to you about. Not a passage, uh, but one verse. Uh, and you may be going 35 minutes on one verse. Yes, yes. We will we will absolutely fully cover today's uh, verse with you. So today we're going to be talking about James chapter 5, verse 12, and I'm just going to read it for us today. I'm probably not going to read it over and over and over again, but I will read it once so you make sure that you hear what it says. Here we go. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath. By heaven or earth or anything else, just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned." See, this is written to a group of people who were lying. Little lies, big lies, white lies, yellow lies, red lies, black lies. They lied so much, they would even have to tell people that they weren't lying so that you would believe that they were not lying. And I don't know if any of you uh, have felt that way before or experienced someone else, because of course we wouldn't do that, but if you experienced someone else who would just say, no, 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 I promise, I promise, I'm telling you the truth. So much so that they were willing to take an extra step and, and make an oath to make sure that people would listen to them and what they had to say. See, this verse seems really straightforward, and so you're probably thinking, JC, what do you really have to explain? I mean, it says here exactly what we're supposed to do, but I want to point out some specifics today that will help us really understand the depth of what James is talking about today. First of all, I just want to point out the positioning of the verse today. Um, it, in your Bible, or the Bibles that we have here at Brookwood, this particular verse is put at the end of a passage. Last week, David Hardy was talking about patience and how our patience, our ability to be patient, not only with others but with God really has to do with our trust. And I believe that that could be true here in this particular passage, that we can be honest when our wor- with our words when we really do trust that God is in charge and in control. But next week you're going to hear uh, from Fenton as he speaks on a passage uh, about prayer and specifically about how we can feel peace in our life when we fully believe that our prayers matter. And so this, when you're honest with your words, guess what? That brings peace into your life. And so it could either be the beginning of a new passage, it could be the end of the passage that David preached on last week, or because of some language that we'll look at a little bit later, it could be a standalone statement. It could be a statement that James here is just saying, hey, I know we've talked about a lot in this letter, but this one, don't don't miss it. Okay, so we're going to talk about that a little bit how important this was, and we're also going to talk about this idea of oaths, because oaths were very popular at this particular time, because there weren't written contracts. Many of you who deal in business, you know that contract is important, you've got to make sure that the language in there is specific to the language that you need, and sometimes you'll have people, I I mean, you've heard stories of people who written contracts, they would sometimes put things in the contract to make sure that someone would have read the contract, There's a famous band, uh, you can read about this particular idea called the Brown M&M Clause. Anybody ever heard of the Brown M&M Clause? They would go into a a show and there would be nothing but brown M&Ms, and they put that in the contract, in the very middle of the contract, so they would be able to tell if someone paid attention to the entire contract or not. So they knew if they walked in and there was a bowl of nothing but brown M&Ms that they had everything taken care of, but if they walked in, and they saw maybe a bowl of M&M's or no M&M's at all, they knew that there were probably other things that weren't followed through on that particular contract. You see, in this day, oaths were important. There are many oaths that we see examples of in the Bible. Uh, Not just oaths towards God, but oaths to many different types of things. Specifically, the idea of an oath is to give witness to something to add credibility to who you are and your statements. Most specifically, people would give oaths to God, and they would call God as a witness. And if they didn't follow through on their oath, they would invite God's punishment into their lives, which seems pretty serious, that seems pretty intense, but our words should matter. So I don't want you to miss this, okay? This is a common occurrence. And In our day, while we may not take an oath, we specifically write contracts, we've got things that we're determined to follow through, and not only that, but we say things every day, every day. Are we being truthful? And there are numerous examples of godly men and women who gave oaths to God. I mean, there's examples of many people. Abraham took an oath to build a well. Uh, Isaac took a similar oath. There's a a well-known oath called the Nazarite vow that would fully consecrate you to God where you decided to do specific things and not do other specific things, including not cutting your hair, shaving, for a number of years to fully give yourself over to God. John the Baptist, Samson, and Samuel all took that vow. And God expects us to keep our vows. Not because so much of your words, but because when you made a vow, when you made an oath, you brought God into the mix. And he expects you to keep your vow because his name is on the line. His name is at stake. So those contracts that you write, those contracts that you sign, an agreement with someone, those words that you make, those promises that you make to your family, to your friends... If you're a follower of Jesus, guess who's included in those things? God is. And his name is at stake. So today, when we travel through this passage and we talk about what James here is really saying to us, please understand this. This is about us. And yes, our words are absolutely a part of this equation. But more than that, it's about what's going on inside of us. What is happening in here? So in order for us to get a proper perspective of what's going on here and the connection between our words and our hearts, uh, I want to share with you a verse, and it's actually at the top of your outline today. It comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 45, and it just says this. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. I want you to say that part together with me. What you say flows from what is in your heart. One more time. What you say flows from what is in your heart. In other words, this. There is a connection that cannot be disconnected. That the words that come out of our mouth flow directly from where? Our hearts. Now here's what I know, right? Like we, we, we live in America, we love dealing with symptoms, right, it's what we love to do. So what do we do? What do we do in order to fix this? We deal with what? We deal with our words, right? Because our words are really the problem. That's what makes people upset. That's what can get us into trouble. Those are the things that we've got to really figure out and control. But here's what I want you to understand today. The words are a label to the issue of your soul. They are just a symptom. They are not the underlying cause of the issue of you being less than truthful. It is something in here. And today, that is what we will talk about. The mouth speaks what is inside of your heart and your soul. So, again, today our words are a reflection. Everything that we say, please understand that I'm going to talk about the symptoms because it's what we see, and it's oftentimes what we judge, but there is an issue here, and your words are a label for your heart. So today, we must understand that our words must do a significant part to show us who we really are, and just to help you understand that, I want to give you a picture of somebody who was unbelievably intentful with their words, incredibly purposeful with what they said and did, and I want you to make sure that you understand, when we talk about this today, we have a picture in Jesus Christ of God's word, according to John 1, the word of God, the word made flesh. So God's very words that we believe are trustworthy can be seen in the personification of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's word. The soul who God is, is the person of Jesus Christ. And people hung on every word that he spoke. In fact, this picture you can see. And they're sitting sitting down in the middle of a town and they are listening to every word that he says. In fact, many of us have probably even imagined being in the presence of Jesus and being able to listen to the words that he said. To be able to hear the wisdom, to be able to hear the tone of voice in the heart, and to watch him live out what he says is powerful. So now that we've got a proper perspective on our words and what they mean to our lives of truthfulness, I want to dive into today's verse and let's talk about why these oaths are being called out as a negative thing. First, we must understand that our words matter. Our words matter. The beginning of James chapter 5 verse 12 says this but most of all my brothers and sisters this is a very small phrase and it leads us to understand two things first the word but lets us know that this is a transitional phrase that there has been something that's being talked about and now we are transitioning earlier we talked about the particular positioning of this verse it leads me to believe that because this word, but, is here, that we are transitioning to a new particular thought, a different thought. But because it is a transition, it is also in context of what was being said before. And so there must be some connection between our trust and being able to be patient and our words. But those words also lead to the healing the Fenton will be talking about next week. See, this is a new subject, and I believe that there's a connection between verse 12 and verse 9 when we see uh, a particular speaking of God's judgment. And I believe that this is meant to introduce something new and not necessarily as a conclusion to the particular passage. But not only is that word, but, important, but this small phrase, most of all, is very important. Other translations say, above all. This leads us to believe that this is important. It would be like Jesus saying to you, hey, listen to what I'm about to say. Hey, pay attention. Hey, this is important. Don't miss this. And James here is saying, this is significant. This is important. Our words matter. See, our heart, the heart issue that James is going to be speaking about, that we'll understand what this looks like in a little bit, this is so crucial to our understanding that every part of our life, the decisions that we make, the words that we say, the thoughts that we have stem from our heart, which is in full connection with God or it's in rebellion to God. Our words are evidence of that. So I, I think you can probably already understand that your words matter. I don't know if any, any of you have had someone who said something so incredibly impactful in a positive way that has changed the course of your life. Uh, I know when I was a a teenager, when I was in high school, uh, thinking about going to business uh, school, thinking about uh, pursuing a career in marketing, even though I knew God was doing many things in my heart, uh, a youth pastor looked at me and he said, Hey, have you ever thought about going into ministry? And I had thought about that. But nobody had ever said that to me. I mean, nobody had ever said that to me. In fact, the only time anyone had ever, you know, kind of said that was when I was in kindergarten and we had to pray at the end of children's church uh, so we could get out and leave, right? And so the rule that the church that I grew up in was, unless a kid prayed out loud, you don't get to leave. And I was ready to leave. So I was like, I'll pray, I'll pray. And I prayed, and at the end of my prayer... A girl comes up to me and she says, you sound just like a pastor. I cried all the way home. I did not want to be a pastor. That sounded like a boring, horrible, terrible job. And so I remember in the driveway coming into my home still crying. And my mom, I'm sure she was laughing and feeling like this was one of the most hilarious moments. But I remember her consoling me. Being a pastor, it's not that bad. People love pastors, right? (laughs) And I remember going, I can't do that. I'll never do that. Please don't make me do that. But this this statement from my youth pastor changed the trajectory of my life. Because, yeah, there were definitely thoughts there, but things never connected until he said that. So you know our words matter, but you also know not only can words positively affect our life, they can absolutely negatively affect affect our life. I'll give you a couple that you might uh, can say these words matter to you even sometimes when you hear them they sting a little extra. Worthless, death, cancer, hate, I don't know if you've ever had anybody share with you how they really feel sometimes but it can absolutely negatively impact your life our words matter and they matter positively and they will matter negatively if we use them in that particular way see as a kid you learn that sticks and stones would break your bones and words would never hurt you but as an adult you understand Words are corrosion to the heart, and they are oftentimes way more dangerous than sticks and stones. In fact, the Bible talks about this in the book of Proverbs, and I'm going to give you a little bit of time to, to turn there. It's in chapter 12, verse 18, and I want you to turn there because I want you to allow this verse to sink into your heart. Proverbs 12 verse 18. Scripture says this, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Another translation says, the rash words are like sword thrust." The tongue of the wise brings healing. We've all felt that stab before, and I hope that you've also felt the healing touch of positive words in your life. For some of us, it would do, it would do ourselves good just to, today at the end of the service to sit in your seat and just ask God, God, what do you think about me? So you can hear the life-giving words of God say to you that he loves you and he cares about you. See, everyone in this room could probably speak to how true that statement is, that our words matter. But oftentimes, we don't tend to measure our words for their potential impact. We just kind of say what's there. But Jesus did. He measured his words. And oftentimes, he was measuring the words of other people and what was going on inside of their heart. It's incredible for me to be able to study the person of Jesus and watch how he interacts with people. There are so many stories of the choice words that Jesus used, the woman at the well, the story of the prodigal son, every word he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, so intentional, so purposeful, so measured. Jesus knew that his words mattered, and he knew that he was a representation of God's very word, so he was purposeful. And I think that's why he said this in Matthew chapter 7. Or excuse me, uh, in Matthew chapter 12. He said this, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Our words matter to other people and they should matter to us because they provide a diagnosis of our heart's condition. So let me ask you this. Do you measure your words that you speak? Do you take time to reflect on, I think I'm about to say this to this person. What will this do to them? How will this impact their life? Do you provide life and healing through your words? Are you jabbing a sword at somebody? Or maybe your words are net neutral. They are idle. They don't bring value, maybe in your mind they don't hurt people, but they really don't make a difference. Some of us in this room have a message that we need to give to somebody that is life-altering positive and you haven't given it yet. We will give an account for every word we speak. What are your words saying to people? Do they matter? Not only should they matter, but they should also be enough. To me, this is crucial, and this is probably one of the things that I love most about studying the person of Jesus. James chapter 5, verse 12, again. Never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no. Never take an oath. See, that particular statement mirrors what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Jesus said this. He said, You've also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes I will, or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Jesus at the beginning of this particular passage used this phrase, our ancestors were told. This is not a passage from Scripture that Jesus is speaking to here. This is probably a rabbinic uh, tradition or rabbi tradition here uh, that they would have put in place. And there's some specific language here that I want to point out to you because it's very important that you understand what Jesus is saying here. He says, the vows you make to the Lord. Well, what these rabbis would do is they wouldn't make vows to God. They would make vows to everything else. They would make a vow to your... Uh, to heaven, they make a vow to earth, they make a vow to um, their head, because if they didn't make it to God, then it makes it easier to break, right? Now some of you in here may be going, those sly dogs, how in the world, how how could people trust them? That's ridiculous, but it's just the language, right? Because we know this earth is not as important as God's name, right? We know that the things of this world compared to God and his glory and his perfection and his holiness, they're not close. So we can kind of, you know, we can kind of go there, but I'll I'll give you a realer example, one that you're probably a little more familiar with, one that you've probably dealt with with your kids before, and it's just this one. You say something and you just do this, and it's like, it doesn't really matter what you just said. Fingers crossed, right? Right? Or you hold them behind your back so they can't see you that you cross your fingers. Or you'll swear on something that is not God, right? You'll swear on something that, you know, you see movies and television, I swear on my mother's grave, right? And it's so important to understand here that they would vow on things that were less important. But what Jesus here is teaching us is that, listen, if you swear on anything, if you vow on anything, it's mine, and I'm in You bring my name into it. In fact, later on in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus condemned this particular practice by saying that swearing on anything brings God into the equation. If you're going to swear on heaven, no, God created heaven, he's in charge of that. If you're going to swear on earth, God made earth, he's in charge of that, he's into that. So there was nothing you could swear on according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 that did not include God. So every vow, every promise, every oath, was in the name of the Lord. And I'm sure for some of those rabbis, that scared them a little bit because they had outs everywhere they went. They could just swear on less important things. See, James here is calling for straightforward, honest speech that reflects how we truly feel. Don't add extra. Don't add fluff. Our words should be enough. And when they aren't, points to what's inside again why is it that we feel we have to add extra why is it that we've got to tell them about that extra benefit with our product and service why is it we've got to convince someone of what we think is in their best interest but it may not be in their best interest And I'll I'll give you kind of a couple reasons why I think we add extra. Okay, number one, we aren't being completely honest in the first place. We give a little shred of honesty, but not the whole picture. And we want to kind of manipulate people into a particular direction or decision. So we add just a bit extra. Or two, we're not confident enough in who we are. So in order to kind of convince people, and really to convince us, that what we believe is really true, we add all these extra words, extra fluff, extra things. And ultimately, it speaks to, do we truly know who we are in Jesus Christ? Is our identity cemented in Jesus' finished work on the cross or in our continued performance? So either way, it speaks to something that's happening in us. And most of the time, they point to something that's missing in our connection with Jesus Christ. Something that we haven't fully surrendered and given to Him. See, Jesus even dealt with this. People feeling like they needed something extra from Him other than His words. Matthew chapter 12, this time. Starting in verse 38. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove to us your authority. Now, here's what's interesting about this phrase. They use the word teacher to show you that Jesus has some authority, okay? So, please don't miss that. It was like saying, person of authority, give us something else to show us that you have authority, We recognize you have authority, but we need extra. And Jesus, who has all the wisdom in all the world, entrusted the Holy Spirit to do the work in him that he needed. Here's what he said. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. See, Jesus didn't need to give them a sign. Jesus was the sign. Prophets for hundreds and thousands of years talked about Jesus. Watching his very life was the sign of his authority. And yes, he absolutely claimed. And this is why it's so crazy to me when people can just say, well, Jesus, he was a good man, he was a good teacher. He said some crazy stuff with his words. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God but by me. That's not a net neutral statement. Jesus didn't just speak with authority. He lived authority. Don't miss this. Jesus didn't add extra to his words. Sometimes you see him preach a sermon and then leave. Just walk off. Sometimes he disappeared. I mean, just disappeared. He didn't need to be there anymore. I know we've all been in meetings where we felt like we didn't need to be there very long, right? Right? I mean, Jesus got up and got out. I mean, he was out. Jesus understood that his words were enough, and if he wasn't going to do the extra to try and manipulate you to him. His life given sacrificially, not just in his death, but for the 33 years that he lived in service to other people, Plenty of evidence and the only sign that we need. Not only should our words matter and not only should they be enough, but they should give evidence of a transformed life. And before you fill it in too fast, I know you guys are so excited about this, I want you to make sure you put a capital T on that word transform because I want you to understand something. This is not just about an improved life. This is not just about a better life. This is about the life that God designed us for. It's not about, man, I lie less. It's not about I'm nicer. It's not about I'm kinder. It's not not any of these things. It's transformed. It is new and it is different and it is given to you by God. So, man, if you're coming and asking God for an improvement plan or a get better in 90 days or Fifteen steps, that's not this life. This is God-breathed and new. See, at the end of James chapter 5, verse 12, Scripture says this, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Now, this letter is written specifically to Christians, and so this word condemned is such an important word in, in this passage because This word speaks to what James is really trying to get at here, and here's what he is saying. This word condemned is not about judgment as Christians. This is about God's judgment of if you've truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In other words, what James is saying here is this. Our trustworthiness, our truth, who we are as people, It will give evidence to whether you are a true follower of Jesus or not. Again, it's not the symptom, or it's not the cause, it's the symptom, it's the label. Is that who you are? Are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? See, James here isn't saying that Christians won't mess up. They won't make errors. That's not what James is saying here. But if other people describe you as a liar, if that is your identity, that should give you reason to pause and reflect on, am I truly a follower of Jesus? Truly. See, our words should point to a different life, the transformed life, the life that only God gives, the new creation life, the life that the Spirit brings and gives vitality to, a life of less, a life of self-denial, a life where we pick up our cross every day and we pursue Jesus. Because the burden that we have compared to the burden that Jesus Christ has is nothing in comparison. It is a place and a responsibility of rest and trust. It's a different life than the hamster wheel of performance. It's a different life than the wheel of trying to make something for yourself. It is true life. And the life that God meant you to live, to fully rely on and depend on him and what he's done for you. See, this is where the power comes from our life. It's not the words that we come up with. It's not the words that we say. It is what is happening in us. Our connection with Jesus gives us power to live and live differently, both the finished work of Jesus Christ where we have full acceptance before the face of God, but also the work of the Holy Spirit every day to make us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that is where powerful living comes from. And so I want to share a couple pictures with you, because I don't want you to miss this, okay? Again, we point back to this picture of Jesus' teaching. So impactful, hanging on every word. And here's what I love about this. Here's what I love, and I I don't want you to miss this. If you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's, here's just what I want you to understand. Jesus is okay with your questions and doubts. Here's how I know. He spent all his life walking around in a movement that has not ended for thousands of years. There would be no bigger news than to find out that this whole Jesus thing is a sham. So just check him out. These people checked him out. They watched him. The disciples hung on every word. They asked him questions. They said stupid things in front of him. They did miserable things in his presence. And you can watch every reaction that he had and understand that he lived with different type of life. He lived with authority and power and peace and love of which we can only hope to experience. And I want you to see this. See, sometimes in church world you miss this. Show this next picture. There was not a group of people that Jesus didn't interact with. Kids, adults... Sick, lame, wise, unwise, soldiers, government officials, religious teachers, people on the outskirts, people of enemy people groups. There was no group of people that Jesus didn't say, Come on, check me out. And people followed him like crazy because they were curious. There was something different about Jesus. Now, some of you may say, yeah, but J.C., that life was so long ago. I mean, we can't even really see Jesus today, this transformed life. I know we talk about this at Brookwood all the time, but what really is going on? What's really happening? Well, I want to share a story with you. I went to camp uh, with high school students uh, last week. It was awesome. We went to uh, Tennessee. It was fantastic. And the speakers there are great, worship's great, our leaders were unbelievable. But I want to share a story with you and something that you might participate in every single week and maybe don't experience what this student experienced. And I'm so glad that he gave me permission to share this story. See, here's what was happening. Uh, After every session, you would go to a group, you'd go to a small group. And in this particular group, this particular student Knows all the people in the group. This group is a strong group. They have been together for a while and they love each other and they are honest with each other. This is a small group that works as we believe small groups should work. So after one of the sessions, they show up to group and there's a discussion going on. And these students are so honest, so real with what they are sharing. Not, here's all the awesome stuff that's going on in my life. Here's the unbelievable things that are happening. No, here's the crud that's in my life. Here's the junk that's in my life, and I need Jesus to fix this. In the midst of that group, having that discussion, a student starts to feel pain in his chest. A little embarrassed, not not wanting people, these, these guys that he knows, to think anything's going on. He literally gets up and walks out out of the room, sits on the floor, and is bawling his eyes out. High school student, so I'm playing with a bunch of other high school students, we're playing a game outside, one of the students from his group goes, hey, can you pray for this guy? Something's going on, nobody knows what's going on, but he's crying, can you pray? It's like a good youth pastor. I said, sure, I'll pray. I'll pray. Finished playing the game. Got up there. Probably about 10, 15 minutes after that. Still crying. As we talk, what he shares with me is he's been living a double life. Please don't miss this. This is not a bad kid at all. In fact, some of you would be like, if that were my kid, I'd be stoked about that. That'd be awesome, right? When he saw and experienced people, high school students, talking about, honestly, what was happening in their hearts and in their lives, something happened in him. And it caused a physical symptom. in the presence of true real authentic honest conversation he knew something was wrong in his life so we prayed he repented he went back in the room to share with his group what was going on best part for me as he walks back in that group before he says a word all of these boys High school boys, you know high school boys, you know, the very emotional, touchy-feely, love to talk about their feelings, love to put themselves, you know, those high school boys wrap their arms around him. And what I heard over and over and over was, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. Unbelievable. I'm so thankful for the leaders of that group, volunteer leaders who give them a safe place to share, who love them and walk alongside them. They make a life impact on our students. So consider this one free of charge. Get involved, get involved. And I'm not just talking about student ministry. I'm talking about when you go to your small groups, If your small groups just kind of humming along, nobody's really been honest, Nobody's really sharing what's going on in their life. Step up to the plate. Put yourself out there. Trust that God is who he says he is. Get involved. Man, if you need to trust that God, if you've got an area that you're struggling in, if you need to give, you need to trust God with that. If you need to be honest and share, you feel like you're wearing a mask, you need to be honest with people. If you feel like God's been calling you to give back and you're not serving or volunteering, there are hundreds of roles that you could have here. Man, invest somewhere because God will prove himself faithful to you 100% of the time. Do you think as that student was feeling that real pain in his chest that he thought for a second he'd walk into a room and be hugged and loved on? No, he felt guilt and burden and shame. But the power of Jesus Christ in a transformed life truly impacts people, and it changes things. So this is free of charge for you today, but if you're not involved, you need to step up to the plate and get involved. This church and the Big C Church need your gifts. We need you. There are kids, students, adults, senior adults that need what God is doing in you. Sometimes we won't experience to transform life until we truly put ourselves in a place where we only trust God to hold us up. This student did that, and he will forever be impacted. That was free. Let me ask you this question Would the people in your life describe you as honest? Would they call you a straight shooter? Would they go to you for advice? Or do they seek to avoid conversations with you? Knowing that, you know, he'll kind of paint a picture and you've got to kind of wade through some stuff that he's saying to get to what he really means. Our words matter. And they should be enough. And most importantly, they should speak to a connection that we have with a loving, perfect, holy, righteous God That has given us new life and we should be willing to share that with others today God's calling some of you to trust the finished work of Jesus that you are seen as perfect holy and righteous in the sight of God because of what he's done not because of what you do and you need to just give yourself over to the people in your life and say I've been living a double life I need to come clean I need to be honest Today, my challenge for you is this. Do not walk out of this room fully embracing the God who says his work is enough. When you go to small group this week, it's time to share. It's time to be real. It's time to move forward in understanding who Jesus really is in your life. Let us pray. God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being truthful with us. Thank you, God, for being present with us, for always being here. God, I pray today that we would trust you with our words and with our life, that we can be honest with the people around us, with ourselves and our life. And God, I pray as people think about where they're at today, as they think about their words being their label for their heart. I pray God that if that label is not as a follower of Jesus Christ, secure in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that they would get that right today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. There are counselors at the front if you'd like to talk.